Sure. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for, Father God, my heart just jumps for joy <laughs> that we can come together. And we've always been a church that doesn't advocate about Sundays, but there is something about coming together. The freedom and the protection of a place like this, of being able to worship freely and, and, and know that we can connect with one another, in, in, like without worry. You don't have to worry about someone saying something, hopefully, you know, that's, that's uncomfortable or um, out of line. It's like a safe place. So, Lord, I just, I know it's not about this building and it's not about, you know, church on a Sunday. But thank you, Lord, that we can get together. Thank you that we can worship together again and just... Ah, oh, Lord, I just want to honor you and celebrate this time, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Yo. Morning, everyone. Morning. Amen. Well done. Good for you. Yeah. Amen. That's awesome. Unfortunately, we're only allowed 50, so we have to keep the number small, but we are here, and God is here. Amen. So, um, <clears throat> as Joe mentioned, and it's, it's funny that we were singing a song now that says, a thousand, what one day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would say to you, and it, it's <laughs> a minute in your court is better than a thousand elsewhere. And that's actually the, what, what I'm going to talk on a little bit this morning. And, it, and, and I would start like this by saying that we're at war. We are, we are in a war. And it's interesting, during, as I was preparing, during the Second World War, Hitler... Hitler's strategy was brand new in terms of war. He moved quickly. When he invaded Poland, he did it, he, he did it uh, they called it the Blitzkrieg. He moved so fast that the Polish army couldn't respond. That's why he took it. And that's what he did in the rest of Europe. He moved very quickly. And he dominated Europe for th three or four years during the Second World War. And then slowly, slowly the Allies started to take Europe back. But the point is, is that he had a strategy. And the devil today also has a strategy. And it hasn't changed in 4,000 years since Adam and Eve. What does he do? He comes to distract. That's all. He said to Eve, surely God didn't say are you sure you're not going to die? He distracted her away from what God had said. And his strategy hasn't changed today. Um, and as, so as I was preparing, I was thinking back the last 20 years or so. Um, and, and it's not limited to the last 20 years, but certainly we've seen a, a ramp up in the last 20 years. TV started about in the 70s, I think. If you've got a black and white TV, you're a somebody, and then you've got a color TV and what have you. And I think when TV started, there was one channel, 
and you, you waited till six o'clock. At five to six, there was just a clock. Or a, and then at six o'clock, the music started and the one channel ramped up. Man, and that was exciting. And then I remember at the end of TV in the evening at midnight or 11.30, there was Urdenken, Epilogue. And then I think they played the last stand or the last post or something. And then you got test pattern. And you waited another 18 hours for tomorrow night. One channel. Well, I mean, I remember those days. And, um, and then there were four channels. And then Mnet came along. Oh, my hat. And who remembers, like, Sunday night? You didn't miss carte blanche. If you wanted to know what was going on in the country, like, don't phone me. Don't talk to me. I'm watching carte blanche. You know? Remember. And then back to work. Yeah, it's like... I don't know if it was depressing what they showed on carte blanche or if it was interesting, but nevertheless, that was us. And then DSTV came along. Oh, my hat. And now there's 500 channels you can choose from, of which 400 and many are just a waste of time. But we had DSTV for years. And I remember night after night, we would go into the lounge and we would find something to watch. And if the whole family was there, there was a host of stuff you could watch. Border security, you could watch aquariums, <coughs> treehouse masters. If you were just, you know, if you were a little edgy, you went into Drugs Inc. or uh, the terrible program Banged Up Abroad, uh, like a terrible title. But, but night after night, you found something to watch or Master Chef or something. And intrinsically, there wasn't anything wrong, was there? I mean, those programs were entertaining and fun. There was no swearing. There was no, nothing untoward. But what did they do? Distracted. Distracted. And how many times I would go to bed and I'd go like, well, that was fun to watch. I can't. What, is, what did it matter? But I didn't understand the hook. The hook was to do what? Distract me away from what? My family and God. And God. And um, now you roll, roll forward a couple of years, and today, oh my hat, Wi Fi. So I cancelled DSTV a couple of years ago, but then Wi Fi took over. Unlimited fiber Wi Fi. Now, the family's not limited to the lounge and watching one screen. Now, every screen in the house is a TV. Phone, tablet, it's all there. And Wi-Fi brought into our lives things like TikTok, which I never got involved in, but nevertheless, I saw my kids. YouTube, which can keep you busy all day and all night. And then Netflix. And Showmax. And probably others. And if movies are not enough. Oh my hat. Then. Season one. Season two. Season three. Season four. Season five. Season six. Season seven. Season eight. And each of those seasons has got 12 episodes. Of 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes each. Okay. But have you noticed this? If you just watch the first episode of season one, you are hooked. I've seen it. 
You know, I used to fish. And one of the fishing lures that we used to use was for chocker. Uh, um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, squid. And it consists of a, a metal cylinder about that long. And around the bottom are these very thin, sharp little hooks. And there's normally two rows of them. And they're only about this long. And they only stick out about that far around the bottom. But when you drop it into the water, and that choco or that squid comes along with all his arms, he just needs to contact that thing with one arm, and he's hooked. And he will not get away. And his other arms will grab to free, and as he grabs, those hooks just grab more and more flesh, and you can pull him up. Even if it's by one tentacle, you'll pull him onto the boat. These seasons do the same thing. Now, I don't watch too many seasons. Normally, holiday time, December, I'll download, to find something, I'll download it, and I'll take it on holiday. <laughs> First episode, you cannot say no. And then, what's worse for me is that you start to get to episode four, five, six, and you start to realize that they've introduced all of the seven deadly sins plus more, subtly and slowly. There's fornication, adultery, theft, murder, retribution, unforgiveness, anger, blah, blah, blah. And the one I'll never forget about two years ago, I got halfway through, and I felt nauseous. And I was thinking, what am I, why am I watching this? Because one half of me was, because you watch this far and you want to know what happens. And the other half is like, but this is just not, it's just not wholesome. But do we see that? Do we recognize that? And Andrew used the, the analogy recently of uh, a frog. Put a frog in a bot, pan of bot, a tin of water, uh, pot, turn the heat up. The frog doesn't even notice what hap what's happening, but it just gets cooked. Okay, I think the frog, some frogs are clever enough to leave the pot before they get cooked. Here's hoping that's, that's us too. I listen to Cape Talk sometimes, and on a Thursday or Friday afternoon, they have this talk about, the, so what's binge-worthy this weekend? It's become the state of society. What are we going to binge on? Oh, look, it's raining on Saturday. Awesome. Lots of popcorn, lots of cool drink or beer or wine or whatever. And let's make it through the season on Saturday because there's a new season next weekend. To do what? Distract us. You see, the devil's strategy hasn't changed. It hasn't changed. Of course he wants, and I said this before and I say it again, he's got his people that draw pentagrams and find those that worship him. But for the rest of us, if he can take our eyes off Jesus, he's going to do it any way that he can. And this is a great strategy. Now I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with this. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with in moderation. You watch a movie or you watch but you've got to look in the mirror and ask yourself, am I hooked? Has this got me? Or have I got it? Am I in charge? Or am I a slave? You know, in Titus 2, Paul writes to Titus and he says this, For the grace of God has appeared... 
that offers salvation to all people, you and me. And it teaches us what? To say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. And to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. This is Paul writing 2,000 years ago. He could have been writing this yesterday. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, to redeem us from all wickedness, and to do what? To purify for himself us, a people that are his own, eager to do what is good. I want to highlight verse 12. He says there to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. That's, Paul is writing to us today. Isn't it uncanny? In 2 Timothy verse 3, he writes to Timothy and he says to him, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. Okay? And then he lists, and these are the heavy ones. So I'm going to skim over the heavy ones, because I don't want us to get bogged down in too much negative. But he talks about people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boast. And we all look at ourselves and say, well, I'm not really boastful. And I'm not too proud. And I'm not abusive. And I'm not so disobedient to my parents. And I'm not so ungrateful. You know, and, I, and I'm fairly holy. And I, I do love and blah, 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 blah. And he goes on without self-control. Brutal, not lovers of good. Treacherous, rash, conceited. And then he says, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness but denying its power. Better is one minute in your court than a, than a thousand minutes elsewhere. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Do we guard our time carefully to a portion to God? And I almost want to say that that's yesterday. It's not quite yesterday. It's still present today. But fast forward to 2020 and 2021 with the onslaught of the pandemic of COVID. And it has devastated our lives. We've lost family members. We've lost friends. If you haven't had a family member lost to COVID, you know someone that's had a family member. Or you've had a friend who's had a family member who's lost someone to COVID. It's a terrible pandemic. Not only the loss of life, but the loss of jobs, the loss of businesses, the loss of livelihood. It's impacted us on every level. But it's brought a whole new level of distraction with it. Unfortunately today, there's an incredible access to information and disinformation. Do you remember last year when we gathered after lockdown? First couple of meetings, you weren't allowed to sing behind your mask. Remember that? Okay. And people got offended because people were singing. The introduction of new rules in society has resulted in new rule enforcers and self-appointed judges amongst us. 
And in Matthew 7, Jesus speaks clearly. And this is not limited to just there and then. He speaks clearly and he says, do not judge. Or you too will be judged. For in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure that you use, it will be used against you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, "Uh, let me help you with a speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. You know what? Some of us have allowed a speck of offense in our own eye to become a plank, and we've used that plank to try and smack the speck out of somebody else's eye. Now, I'm not advocating that breaking the rules is right. No. But how do you posture yourself if you see someone is doing something that offends you? Matthew 18 speaks very clearly. Go to that person. Don't judge them. Go to them. If you're unhappy or you don't like the social distancing or there's something that's around you in society, how do you posture yourself? Do you allow your offense to become a plank? Or do you keep it just a speck and go to the person? Because in Ephesians 4, Paul writes and he says, and listen to these words, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another in judgment. No, sorry. Bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. COVID has introduced into society a a new, exciting new ways of finding fault with one another and bringing disunity amongst us. And we have to guard against that. It's a distraction. It's a distraction that drags us down a road of what? Breaking the unity between us. And then if I take that one step further, just how many conflicting conspiracy theories are there out there? Huh? To do what? To entertain. To distract. To entice. Our itchy eyes, itchy ears, and itchy minds. And do what? Keep us busy. Thousand days there, rather than a day in his courts. God didn't command us to be ignorant. No one is expected to remain uninformed. However, Don't get distracted away from your focus on God. We have to keep the main thing, the main thing. Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, and he says, You then, my son. Listen, I'm going to say this to you. You then, my friends, my family, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you've heard me say in the presence of you, Entrust to re- I'm entrusting what you're reading here. You are reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join me in my suffering, says Paul, like a good soldier 
in Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. I was a soldier once, and I think some of the older folk here were also soldiers once upon a time. Let me tell you something. I knew what was going on in the world, but my world was about discipline, listening to what I was told to do, following orders, and being a soldier. We're at war. People, we are at war against the wiles of the devil. And we need to be soldiers in the kingdom of God. Focusing on what God wants us to do. Not being distracted by the things of the world. In Colossians verse 3, Paul writes again and he says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ Jesus. So he says twice, he says set your hearts on the things above and then set your minds on the things above. Be aware of distractions. In Philippians 2 he writes, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, If any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion. Now listen to this, what he says. And he introduces a word there I want you to notice. Then make my joy. Joy? Complete. And I want want to focus on that word, but I want to finish the scripture. He says, by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition, worldly pleasures, or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. In verse 2, he says, then make my joy complete. He's saying, what he's saying to them is, if you focus on the things of the kingdom, you'll find what? Joy. And you know, too often we present that our walk, our work, our obedience is an effort. Something that's like, I'm going to carry my cross and I, got to, and I just got to, I just got to work hard and, you know, and hope that God helps me along the way. And I just got to. But there's a word that Paul brings in. The word joy. And I, I want to focus on that. And, I'm, and I'm, I'm bringing this message to a land on that. What is joy? Well, it, it comes from the Greek word. And it's spelt C-H-A-R-A. I don't know if it's pronounced Chara, I doubt it. It's probably Chara, because the Greeks speak like that, you know? And um, the Greek, this noun is, is a word which describes, bear with me, a feeling of inner gladness, delight, or rejoicing. Those are positive attributes. Inner gladness, delight, 
or rejoicing. Here's the thing. Happiness happens. But joy abides. Happiness is an emotion that comes and goes. But joy resides and remains. And I want to, write, I want to read a, a quote I found. Martin Lloyd-Jones. I've read a lot of his devotions. Listen, listen to what he has to say. In any definition we may give of New Testament joy is that we do not go to a dictionary. We go to the New Testament instead. This is something quite peculiar which cannot be explained. It's a quality which belongs to the Christian life in essence. So that our definition of joy so that in our definition of joy, we must be very careful that it conforms to what we see in our Lord Jesus. You with me? The Word has never seen anyone who knew joy as our Lord did. And yet He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. I know we know grief. We know sorrow. So is Jesus, and yet joy is associated with him. So our definition of joy must somehow correspond to that. Joy is something very deep and profound. Something that affects the whole and entire personality. In other words, it comes to this. There is only one thing that can give true joy. And that is contemplation of the Lord Jesus Christ. He satisfies the mind. He satisfies the emotions. And he satisfies my every desire. He and his great salvation include the whole personality and nothing less. And in him, I'm complete. Joy, in other words, is the response and the reaction of the soul to the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you get that? We find our joy in him. You know, Jesus talks about the vine and the branches, and we've, we've used that parable many times in the last few months. And he talks about how we need to abide in him, we need to be secure in him, and he will provide for us, and we will produce fruit. And then he goes on to say after that in John 15, he says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love, and if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. And I've told you this, why? So that my joy may be in you. And that your joy may be complete. Your inner gladness, your delight, your rejoicing may be complete. See, Jesus says, my burden is what? My yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
Sometimes we can get overloaded by what we have to do. But Jesus is saying, I've told you this why, so that my joy, my inner gladness, delight and rejoicing may be in you, and that you too may have it. And so the scripture continues, and Jesus then follows on. After that, and he, and he speaks about, and he says, and then greater love is no man that he lays down his life. See, you don't do it like, oh, I'm saved now, and I must love my brother, and it's hard work, because some people are not easy to love, and, oh, and, then, and then I've got to go and lay down my life, oh, and how am I going to do this, because it's hard. No, no, no. When the joy of the Lord is in you. Then you'll love one another. And you'll have no greater love than to want to lay your life down for your friends. So I want to end with this to encourage you. Proverbs 8. Uh, Proverbs 18. Yeah. It's a slightly different version, but he writes, If your joy is low, run to the strong tower of the name of Jesus, and he will lift you up. He may not change your circumstances, but when you hide in him, and he lifts you up, you'll have a different perspective of the trials, struggles, and afflictions and the tests and challenges that you're facing. Praise His holy name. Amen. Amen.